Good morning, church. For the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to be focusing on the power of relationships and the importance of uh, community. And at Greenville Oaks, I, I know a lot of us get to know churches really in all of America, but here as well through Sunday morning gatherings. In fact, that may be the, the first time that we found you was showing up here on a Sunday morning. Uh, but when we look at the story of the early church, what we do here on Sunday morning would have been really hard for them to understand or believe could be possible because they lived in a time of persecution, a time where gathering in large spaces wasn't, wasn't possible. So they met in house churches. And there was a power to that, that, that that's great that really is what we're trying to talk about with our connecting point groups. They're more like house churches is what they are. And I, I love that we live in a time and a place where we can gather in, in, on Sunday mornings and encourage one another, remind ourselves of the story uh, of Jesus. But it's important for us to understand that Christian community has to happen more than just the people who gather in this room. It, it happens in houses and around tables in building deep relationships. And over the next couple of weeks, we want you to consider again what group you might be a part of this coming year. And uh, there's all kinds of ways to get more uh, glued in and connected to those. But I want to share a quote that I read from uh, Bill Hybels, wrote a book called Courageous Leadership. And he talks about that Acts 2 community in a really helpful way. Uh, this is the quote. It says, that There was once a community of believers who were so totally devoted to God that their life together was charged with the Spirit's power. In that band of Christ's followers, believers loved each other with a radical kind of love. They took off their masks and shared their lives with one another. They laughed and cried and prayed and sang and served together in authentic Christian fellowship. Those who had shared, uh, who had more shared freely with those who had less until socioeconomic barriers melted away. People related together in ways that bridged gender and racial chasms and celebrated cultural differences. Acts 2 tells us that this community of believers, this church, offered believers a vision of life that was so beautiful, it took their breath away, it was so bold, so creative, so dynamic that they couldn't resist it. And verse 47, Acts 2, 47, tells us that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love that picture. I, I love a picture of community that's walking in close enough connection with one another that this is what the world sees and can't stay away from. And I'm grateful to see the ways that our groups reach out to families like the Mannings and others that are walking through these difficult times. It, it makes me ask that question, how can people do life without it? Once you experience it, I think you understand a bit of that. So we want to talk about this, and you may be wondering how to sign up. There's several ways you can do that. One, you can talk to a staff member, talk to, to me, but you can also talk to Keith Maloney, who's leading the Connecting Point group ministry. He'd love to connect with you. Uh, you can also email Keith at kmaloney at greenvilleoaks.org or check our website, and, and there's a groups page you can connect with there. But right now, let's begin with prayer, and we'll get into the, the Word of God this morning. Father, I, I pray this morning... And to you, you're our good Father. You, you are worthy of our praise, and we've given it to you this morning. And we've given you our offerings, God, and we pray you do with those what, what only you can do, God, to multiply the small amounts that we have and some even larger amounts, God. But whatever's been given, would you use it for your glory? God, this morning I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Well, there's two key human desires that all of us have, I would say, as humans. And, and, and I think it's important for us to understand these because I think the life that God's called us to as a part of the church, and especially our small connecting point groups, 
really get at this. Those two desires that we have that are true to all of us, I think, are this. We desire to be fully known in our lives. We want people to know fully who we are, but the second is a vital part of this as well. We want to be fully loved as well. Fully known and fully loved. And so many of our experiences in church or in groups or in in school, whatever it might be, we find that one of these isn't enough on its own. That you can be fully loved and not fully known, it's not enough. You can be fully known and not fully loved, and it's not enough. We desire for these two things to come together. Many of you know what it feels like to be fully uh, known but not be fully loved. What does it feel like when we walk into that experience? Well, it feels like we're exposed, like we're, we're judged by others. It's that moment when you choose to be vulnerable and share people the truth of your life, and yet what you receive is judgment back. It's the moment when you share your opinion and realize that no one else agrees with you in the room. It's that moment when you reveal maybe to your coworkers that you're a Christian and their assumptions are, well, you must be a fundamentalist bigot, right? Because that's what a Christian is. It's going to look different in your life. And my guess is there have been these moments where you've been fully known and you've been exposed in that moment and you felt judged and love was not what you received in return. But many of us also know the opposite feeling. We know what it is to feel fully loved, but not fully known. What does that look like? Well, it it feels like having to maintain a charade or a a mask so that you're loved in that community. Or if the group you you, you feel like you have to pretend in order to fit in, uh, you know what it feels to be fully loved, but not fully known. It's the moment you, you know that if you were to really speak up and share what you really believe about something, you'd actually be found on the outside of that group. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've been one of those two things. You've been in a community or a group or a family where you felt one, but not the other. When you feel that, it's not a healthy feeling. It's, not a, it's an awful feeling, really. Because deep down, we have these deep desires for two things, to be fully known and to be fully loved. Now, let's get real about this, because this doesn't just happen in, in theory, right? This is true in our lives. If Some of us grew up in families where acceptance was dependent on us behaving or acting in a certain way. So we knew if we brought home a, a, a report card that wasn't all A's, the love was really conditional at that point. We were going to see that. Or if certain behaviors, if we didn't keep certain standards out there in the world, we, we knew judgment was going to meet us when we, when we came home. Some of us grew up in churches where if you asked a certain kind of question, you knew you were going to get a certain kind of response. You'd be slapped a label of a, a troublemaker in some way because we don't ask those kinds questions about it there. Some of us today are in relationships where only one of those things feels true to us. Some of us are in relationships where we're not honest about who we are and we're not fully known because we're not being honest with, with somebody important in our lives. And some of us, well, we feel, we feel fully known, but we feel judged in the process. And it's, it's hard to come to a place where both of these things are found and it's vital for our growth to find groups where that can be the case. I like the way Tim Keller talks about this in one of his books. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. And to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. See, our God is a God who shows us steadfast love. And what that means is he knows everything about us, but he loves us despite and, and even in, 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 in spite of all of that. He's a God who knows us fully. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to go to one of the chapters that talks about this. It's in 
the book of Psalms, Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is one of the passages that my parents really uh, asked me to, to memorize as a child. And I, I spent a lot of time in my fifth or sixth grade year, I remember, committing this to memory. And it's one of those chapters I can recall, even though I'll, I'll read it to you so you feel better about not knowing it, right? I, I don't know if I remember all of it like I did at one point. But I, this is something I'd tell you to do as parents and as grandparents. Commit your kids to learning Scripture, to memorizing Scripture, because it's important at moments in our lives to be able to have this recall of things. And this is one of those chapters for me. Psalm 139, verse 1, listen to this. A God who knows us fully. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. This is a psalm that David writes. And David has done a lot of wrong things. He knows that God knows him fully that he searches his heart, and at times it's seen that David's heart isn't as it should be. But ultimately God says, I believe, David, you're a man after my own heart. You see, God knows us fully. There's nothing we can hide from. There's no secrets we can keep from God. God's a God who knows us fully. But the comforting thing is, Scripture also says that God loves us fully. One of those passages, another one to maybe memorize with your kids, is Romans chapter 8, where I'd like to talk about this idea uh, right now. This is what Paul writes to the church at Rome. Romans 8, 39. I'll start in verse 37, actually. No, in all these things, Paul writes, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is vital for us to understand. God knows us fully, Psalm 139, but Romans 8 says he knows us fully and he chooses to love us fully as well. There's no part of us that's hidden from God. And it's not that he loves us because he doesn't know it all. He knows all that. He knows everything that you want to hide from everyone else in your life and he still loves us. There's nothing that can separate us from that love. This idea is incomprehensible in our lives in so many ways because we've had so so few experiences of walking into a community where we're fully known and we're fully loved. But this is what God calls the church to be. This is what our, our, our connecting point groups need to become as a place where we can be fully known and also fully loved. Jesus really lives this out in his life. This is in the book of John. John chapter 1, another one of those great chapters. John 1 verse 14 describes who Jesus is. And I think it goes along these lines as well. It says there, the word became flesh. The word is Jesus it's talking about. And made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son. Who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now there's a lot that we can unpack in in this one verse. In fact I've already preached several times on on John chapter 1. And the power that's found there. But this particular verse. Often we focus on the first part. He came from the father. He's full of. But but I want to focus on that last line. Uh, In fact if we can keep that up there. We don't have the whole thing up there. But basically it says he, he came from the father. Jesus did full of grace and truth. And I want you to think about that concept because I think this ties back to the very two things that we need and desire most as humans. What are they again? To be fully known and to be fully loved. And when Jesus enters into the world, what does it say about him? It's not just his teaching that's full of grace and full of truth. It's his presence. This is who he is. He sent God, God the Father sent him full of grace and truth. And I think these two concepts go together. Our need 
and what God offers to us in Jesus. Because we want two things. We want to be fully known, which is truth, right? We want the truth to be known about us. Some of us don't want that right now, if we're honest. But ultimately, in our best reality, working through all of our flaws and working toward the best person God's called us to be, we want to be fully known. We want our words to align with the commitments we've made. But we want to be fully loved as well in that context. Are, am I, am I, are you with me this morning? Don't we desire these things? So we want to be fully known, but we also want to be fully loved. And that's the grace side. And this is what Jesus offers to us. A God uh, who comes in the form of a man who gives us uh, himself and full of grace and full of truth. But here's the problem. There's a tension between grace and truth, isn't there? And our culture is such a dualistic culture that forces us to choose between this and between that. We, we just... We come to see ourselves in tribes that decide on one side or the other. We don't, we don't handle paradox very well. We don't handle that tension very well. So we tend to fall and collapse that tension to one side or to the other. And we group in those groups that choose one side or the other. So uh, this happens all kinds of places in our world. It happens like Pepsi and Coke, right? I mean, it's one or the other. You can't like both of them, right? And Mac or PC, you've seen the commercials that kind of see this divide, right? Or or Democrat-Republican, we, we divide into these dualisms where we decide which side we land on, and then we, we demonize the other side, and we, we become a part of a tribe as a result of that. And the moment we choose a side, we know who our friends and enemies are because they've chosen similar ideas. In the church, we do the same thing. In fact, I, I think there's people who fall and would fall on the side of, well, I'm on team grace, and there'd be others in the room that would say, yeah, but if you're all grace and you're missing out on this, I'm really team truth. And we tend to decide one side or the other. It's amazing how we'll come to Scripture and we'll, we'll view different stories that are there through that lens of what we think is most important. So one side says, you're either one of those liberal moral relativists or you're on the side of truth. And the other side says, you're either one of those conservative fundamentalists or you're on the side of grace. And you know what Jesus says to this growing tension and question? He says, I don't have to choose between the two. I've sent from the Father full of both of these things. We maintain this paradox that, that our, our, our culture wants us to collapse. It's a false choice. I came from the Father full of grace and truth. And this bears out in the Gospel of John several times as we read stories about how Jesus responds. And he, he maintains this tension, this paradox. And I want to challenge us as a church to be that kind of church as well. Turn with me, if you would, to, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is a story about Jesus and a Samaritan woman. In fact, next week, Keith Maloney's going to be uh, coming and sharing a message, and he's going to talk more about this story, the Samaritan woman, and a powerful word I'm excited uh, to get to hear online uh, later on. But I, I wanted to share this story and just kind of open this up a little bit. Hopefully I won't steal you know, Keith's thunder next week. But Jesus comes to this woman, and there's this woman who's at this well, and, and, and Jesus knows the full truth about who she is. He knows, he shows her the truth. She is fully known to Jesus. He says to her, you've, you've had five husbands after some conversation. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. He, she's fully known to Jesus. But he also shows this woman grace. She's fully loved by Jesus. The Samaritan woman becomes actually the first evangelist that speaks the good news to the Samaritan people. An amazing story of God uh, allowing this woman to see the good news, to receive that, and get to dispense that and share that with others. Listen to this in, in, in John chapter 4, verse 39, the story of this woman sharing the good news. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him 
because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. In other words, I'm fully known. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the Savior of the world. It's full of grace, full of truth, fully known, fully loved. But most of the time when I've heard this passage preached, I hear it from one side or the other, don't you? It's, it's either, well, Colin, you've got to see here. We're, we're on team truth, and that means he did say to her, hey, your life's not like it should be. You've, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with is not. Or, or you'll hear the other side from another preacher, right? Or from someone else who reads this passage. Well, but Colin, you see what he did? He, he offers us this tremendous grace, and she gets to share the good news. But you don't get to tell this story with either or. It's both and, right? He knows her fully. And yet he receives her fully and shows the grace that God has to offer to this woman. And that's where the transformation comes, is in that paradox together. Another story that shows up is a couple chapters later. It's in John chapter 8. It's a story about a a woman that's been caught in adultery. For some reason, the man doesn't show up, which is a sermon for another day, right? But it takes two, right, in this story. So here's this woman, and, and Jesus shows this woman grace. He shows her grace. He, he says to those who are there, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. And he knows if they're honest, fully known, they're not going to throw those stones. And they end up not throwing those stones. The law said it was okay to do this. And Jesus steps in and shows her grace. But he also shows the truth in this matter, right? In the end, he comes back and he says, all right, go and sin no more. Go and live with line of the truth that God's called us to live out. I love this because... Often when I hear this talked about, I hear one or the other talked about most, right? Well, can't you see the grace that that Jesus offers this woman? And then the other says, yeah, but he told her to go and sin no more. We've got to make sure and tell Well, it's a both and, isn't it? But our culture forces us to one side or the other. We're either grace or or we're truth. But Jesus maintains this paradox. He's fully grace, fully truth, fully known, fully loved. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Well, then there's the story of Peter. Peter who, 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 in Mark chapter 8, we come to this story about Peter, and he, he's asked the question along with the other disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter gets it right. He tells the truth about Jesus. He says, you're the, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And, and then just after that, Jesus realizes, you didn't quite fully understand what you meant when you said that. You were right in a sense, but then Jesus tells him, I'm going to go and die. I'm going to suffer I'm going to be raised on the third day. And Peter says, no, I, that's not going to happen, Jesus. We know what the Messiah does. And it's not that. And, and, and Jesus has some hard things to say to Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan, which that's a hard truth to hear, right? Fully known, right? But Jesus doesn't give up on Peter, does he? Restores Peter. And finally, Peter ends up disowning him again right before uh, the, the crucifixion happens. He denies Jesus three different times. But later on, after Jesus has died and he's risen from the dead, he appears again. And in John chapter 21, there's a story about breakfast by the seashore, the Sea of Galilee. You see, Peter's gone back to his old life. He's fishing on the Sea of Galilee again. He's not having a great night uh, on the the lake. But but Jesus shows up, and they've caught enough to have breakfast. And Jesus prepares this breakfast. You remember what he does for Peter? He asks some questions, three questions, three times, just like he denied him three times. Do you love me? Peter, and and Peter responds, yes, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. He calls him back into community. He calls him back into the ministry that God's given him. And just a few days later, just a few weeks later, 
Jesus preaches, or Peter preaches a message where 3,000 people are baptized. That would not have happened if Peter didn't see the truth of who he was. And it certainly wouldn't have happened without him seeing the grace that Jesus offers. Fully, fully both of these things. Fully known, fully loved, grace and truth. It's not either or, it's both. And you see, Jesus refuses to take sides. It's not like he's 60-40 on the side of grace, and he's not 80-20 on the side of truth. He's 100% grace and 100% truth. And that's so hard for us to understand, isn't it? How do you offer that kind of understanding? How do you maintain that paradox when we're dealing with real people and real situations? Because it's so easy to side on one side or the other, isn't it? So easy to take sides. So how are we doing on this? Here's the question I want to I prompt you on this morning. We all know, want, know that we want to be fully known and fully loved. My question to you is, are you fully known and fully loved? In what relationship in your life can you honestly say, I, this person knows everything about me? This doesn't happen to happen with everyone in the church, but you ought to have at least one person or a small group in your life that knows everything about you. You're fully known. But in the same breath with that person, you know this person fully loves me and desires to see the best come out of me. And if you can't think of that person right now, it's time to begin to find that relationship. We'd love to help you find that. If our groups are not that place for you, we want to make those better. In fact, we're making strides this this fall with Keith Maloney beginning to teach some small group leaders so we can become better equipped to become this kind of church, a church that's full of grace and a church that's full of truth. See, this ought to be our niche in the church. There's nowhere else in culture where I don't think it should be known as well that this is the case than in the church. There are places you can probably be loved better than the church without being known. And I'm okay with that. There are probably places where you can be, uh, you can be known, but you're not loved. And, and I, I certainly don't want that to be said of us. But I don't want there to be anywhere in culture where anyone can say, I am known more and loved more than my church. And we know that's the case because we know ourselves well enough, right? We, we ought to be full of grace because we're all too aware of our own failures to land on the side of judgment with others. And we ought to be full of truth because we're all too aware that if we don't give people the right to speak into our lives, we'll hide behind our facades and our masks for a long time. So what would it be like to be a part of a community, a radical community that decided we're going to be a church that's going to fully embrace and love people where they are, but we're also going to be a church that's going to accept the truth of where they are. I don't know if there's a better example of this than, than Celebrate Recovery and what's going on in that ministry. I'm grateful for the ways that that group receives people. And if you've never been before, the Blue Crew is ready to receive you on Wednesday nights, right? They're, they're standing at the door. They're excited to greet you. You don't feel strange walking in those doors. You feel welcome. You feel received. You feel fully loved. But there's also this sense in CR that you can't stay where you are. It's not okay to be this way. Hope class is another great example of this, right? That we have all kinds of examples in our church where this is beginning to happen more and more, and and I'm grateful for those, and I hope we'll step more into that. In fact, in a couple weeks, we're going to get to share more of the story of what God's doing in CR. It will have been a year at that point. And I'm so grateful to see the faces out here of people who are working with people in these ways. They're willing to walk into the... This is messy, isn't it? Much easier to say, hey, we're all truth here, or we're all grace here. The mess comes when you blend those things together. And that kind of community isn't formed in a day, and that kind of community isn't found in a group of this size. It's found around tables and around living rooms. It's been happening since the first century, and it's still happening today. 
In fact, today, I, I, there's a story that I wanted to have a, a couple share with you from one of our Connecting Point groups. If, if Doug and Chidi Key would come on up, I, I hope they're, you guys stuck through second service as well. I'm so proud of you guys. Doug and Chidi shared their story. You may not know Doug and Chidi. They've been a part of one of our Connecting Point groups and are starting to, to connect more with our church family in many ways. And I wanted them to share their story with their Connecting Point group uh, today. So if y'all would share that story, it, it's a great testimony for us. <laughs> we're with a group of people who are so diverse we uh we're with older people knowledgeable wise couples we have younger couples with kids we have uh some single people and our group has learned to laugh with each other to cry with each other we we share meals we fellowship. Um, we even went camping one time, and uh, funny story, um, we were there the, uh, the second night. Um, it, was, it was dark. We were all sitting around the campfire, and we were sharing stories and, and, and just enjoying each other and, and, and loving each other. And, and before we know it, uh, one of the park rangers came up and said, hey, folks, you guys are being a little too loud. Um, and, and it's interesting because we had a Boy Scout group to the left of us and some kind of riotous group to the right of us. So, you know, we've even been reprimanded and at the same time repented together. And if you know anything about us being uh, law-abiding citizens, we, we really felt bad. But um, it's such an incredible thing, uh, these groups. And our story, I don't think, is unique at all. But I think it really speaks so powerfully to what groups can do because Cheat and I actually did not come to Greenville Oaks before we got part of this group. We actually met our group and then came into Greenville Oaks. Uh, Chidi and I, uh, we live in Allen, but we are attending a church in Dallas. Um, we had our second child, and, and uh, because of the drive, because of just the circumstances, as you know, if you have small children, it really is hard to do that on a long distance uh, every, every, every week or every Sunday. So we are, we are kind of just going on, uh, on days, and, and for whatever uh, a reason, uh, Chidi uh, and myself, um, we, were, we were looking for more, but we weren't finding anything at the time. Um, and maybe we weren't looking hard enough, maybe we weren't relying on God. But uh, fortunately for us, God was, was looking at us. And, uh, and our son was going to uh, daycare here, and uh, one of our, uh, our group members, uh, their son was going to daycare here as well. And Chidi was talking to uh, one of the women from the group member, and she said, hey, you know, you need to come and uh, visit our group. We'd really love to have you come and see what we have to offer. And and uh, hey, you don't have to, you know, we know you're not going here. You don't have to be part of anything. Just, just come and, and, and uh, find out what's going on. So we, we came, we connected to the group, and after several months, we're like, wow, this is such an awesome group. I mean, if this group is so incredible, then Greenville Oaks must have something going on. So we, we, we found ourselves here now, and we're, we're so glad that we did. Um, on a more serious note, though, we had some, some very serious things go on in the spring, and, uh, and they really showed the metal of our group, and they really showed how much, uh, as a family, uh, we were. And I'm going to let my wife talk a little about that now. And um, there's something that I guess they say a lot, that a lot of the ladies in our group say that Colin also mentions, it's doing life together, and that's what the connecting point was for us. And like he said, we were in the group, but we didn't necessarily come to church here. My son came to preschool, and that's how we started going to the group. Um, I have, I'm the oldest of four kids, and my... Um, brother uh, passed away three months ago this weekend 
he, I'm originally from Nigeria, so he had come here to get health care. And, I mean, a lot of things didn't work out the way that it should have. And so he went to be with the Lord in, um, at the end of um, May. And so we were at the point where, I mean, if you've lost this, somebody, for you to have family and have an extended family that can walk through that process with you, for us was a huge blessing because he didn't know anybody here. And so they pretty much took care of everything that entailed going through that process with praying for us, coming to see us, bringing us meals. We were even blessed to be able to do the memorial um, here and they took care of, I mean, every single thing. My mom was absolutely blown away that for you to say you don't even go to church here, you know, these are just people that you met going to group with, that they really went above and beyond. And, I mean, they took care of every single detail, even up to um, um, financial commitments, because we had gotten to a point, because, like I said, he came from Nigeria. My mom was going to have to try to go back home. And I remember thinking to myself, do you think it would be okay for me to ask if maybe the group would be able to help us financially in some way to get some stuff done? And before I even got to that point, they had come to the house to see us, to check on us, see how we were doing. And they gave us a card. And when I opened the card, they had all given money together unbeknownst to us and said, hey, we don't know, you know if this is going to do anything, but this is something that we felt like we should do. So even in that moment, the Lord knew where we were. He knew what we needed, and he used this group to do that for us. And I cannot tell you what a huge, huge blessing it is to be in a place where people, like he's talking about, know you fully, know what it is that you're going through, the struggle of being able to deal with the emotions of, why would God let this happen? They'd been praying with us from day one. We were full of faith and expectation that he would be healed, that he would live in. Just all the different emotions you go through when you deal with the loss of a loved one. And, I mean, they were there for us from start to finish, still walking through the process of grief um, with us. And so, like my husband said, it's just it made us realize that, hey, I'm not sure why we're still trying to figure out where we should go. This is where we should be. And it has been an absolute, absolute blessing um, for us. So if you are in a group, then hopefully that's true to you. If it is not, then hopefully you will find one. Maybe the Lord is going to call you to start one, like he said, and maybe you're the one that has what it is that somebody else is needing to fill that hole that we can be the body of Christ. And so we've been truly blessed by that, and we are thankful to the Lord for it. Thank you all so much. It's amazing the people we don't know until we hear their stories. I'm grateful for Doug and Chidi telling theirs. Make sure and get to know them if you haven't already. But I'm grateful for a group like this. And there's many like it that are doing this kind of thing, ministries working together in this way. Fully known, fully loved, fully grace and truth. It's a hard tension. But this is what it looks like when it's acted out in the way it should be in Christian community. So I want to encourage you this week, if you're not a part of a group, talk to Keith about that. Find me after service and I'll I'll find a way to, to make sure that we make contact with the right people so that you can find this kind of community, community together. It cannot happen in this room. This room is great, and I love it in so many ways for the ways we gather every Sunday. I don't want to give this up, but I wouldn't want to do life without doing it with people in my home that I know their names and I know their stories. I know what God's doing, and I'm praying for them on a regular basis. And I'm grateful for the groups that God is stirring in this church to do that more and more. Right now, I want to close this with prayer. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll close our time this morning. God, I, I thank you so much for Doug and Chidi and for the ways you've worked in her life, God, in this season, even in the midst of the grief of this season. 
And it's through Christian community that happens. I've got so many stories to be shared around the room this morning of how a group that fully began to know this person and, and began to fully love them and, and receive them, God, holding on to those two, that, that two parts of this paradox, God, that's, that's how your grace infuses our lives. That's how you've grown me up, God, is in living in close enough relationship with Holly that she's fully known more who I am and, and has fully loved me in the, in, in the response to that. God, we have people in our lives that have done this. And uh, our small groups are ways that happens. God, thank you for this church family, for the ways that happens in ways that our ministry staff really knows nothing about. It's just how your people do life together. And I'm grateful for that. God, I thank you for Jesus and for your Holy Spirit that guides us. And pray that we can be more of the community that we need to be here for others, like Doug and Cheedy, for each one of us. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.